This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is a crowd podcast. So usually at the start of an episode, you'll hear a clip from KC saying something threatening or emotional to get us into the mood. But I wanted to start this episode a little bit differently. Over the last few weeks, I've read a lot of your comments. You message me on Twitter. There are threads on Reddit, reviews on podcast apps. And I think there are three camps you can be in as a listener to American Vigilante. A lot of you love KC. You believe every word he says. To you, he's the greatest guy of all, saving America, one case at a time, telling perhaps just the occasional lie for security reasons, to look after people. Some of you think he's making the whole thing up, that he's watched too many action films, that he's lonely, he's got a lot of time on his hands, and I'm the worst journalist in the world for even listening to him. And that some of you don't care if it's made up. You just love the podcast and you could listen to KC all day. Yes, you think he's exaggerating bits and he probably can't sprint 40 metres that quickly, but who cares? You're on the journey with me and you can't wait to see where we end up. So here's what we're going to do. In our last episode, he told us this about someone he rescued a long time ago. That little girl at seven years old called me two days ago. She's had her second child and she's getting married. She called me to invite me to her wedding. Are you going to go? You bet your ass I'm going to go. He's been invited to a wedding, which I don't know about you. <laughs> it's an image I love. Casey at a wedding. But here's the opportunity. So this woman who's invited Casey to her wedding, I'm going to try and speak to her. It might take a few weeks. She might not want to talk to me, but that's what we're going to try and do. Because just maybe... This might change everything. In the meantime, KC has two stories for us about his team cleaning up a couple of drug-infested neighbourhoods. I'm Sam Walker, and this is American Vigilante, Episode 9, Rainy Nights. Let's get into the story, because I know we're a little bit short on time today, and there's a bunch of other stuff hopefully we can get into, but let's talk about this story today. So this is Murph again, right? Oh, well, it's a lot more than Murph. It's me, Murphy, Droppy, and then there's a, another team member that was a Cherry at the time and ended up not quite fitting in, so he ended up going his own way. Cherry, of course, is the name you give people who are kind of the rookies. Yeah, until you're fully... And you're just called Cherry. This is one of those pro bono things that just happened. And it, actually, it's the quickest planned thing we ever did because this was definitely flying by the seat of our pants. On this little escapade, we just completed a job. And that's why all four of us were together. In our traverses across the country, we like the mom and pop shops. We like, you know, the small businesses. The, they're just nice. Uh, we try to support them 
anytime we can. And this was a, a meat market. This guy had had this thing for decades, and he'd bought it from other families that had, had it for decades. And they had a big display case in the front, and then he had a big meat cutting room too. And uh, he had, you know, the thing to smoke his meats and all that. They made the best stuff. So anytime we were within 500 miles of this place, <laughs> we would find a reason to go there. So we'd stopped in there to get some steaks and things to throw on the grill. Well, uh, he had one customer in there, and he was a he was an elderly gentleman. And we're just standing there waiting, and, and we hear him talking. And he's like, well, you know, we're trying to get the, the police involved, and something's got to be done. This is just crazy. And we heard the guy saying how, you know, his house had been robbed, and his wife was scared. And so we're sitting here listening to this, and we hear the, the business owner. Let's call the business owner Jack, okay? We hear Jack, and Jack says, well, he goes, uh, we'll get me and some of the other neighbors, and we'll, we'll start trying to keep a better watch in your house. So the older man finishes his purchase, and he walks out. As Jack and I are talking, I said, I'm sorry that we were eavesdropping, but uh, couldn't help but notice it sounds like you got a problem. And it's like I just opened a faucet. So he opens up, and he starts telling us. Well, what had happened was, couple years before that, a really bad element had uh, bought a piece of property in there. Within a month or two of this happening, traffic picked up and it, it started getting bad. A mobile home was brought in and set up on the property too. You know, then another family moved in there. And then slowly over the year, they said buses were coming in and campers. There was so many, it was unreal. Between the volume of traffic at night what was going on and everything. They they knew that there was a drug problem. Well, they called the police and, you know, police, of course, come out and they, they can't do anything. And they called them several times, music too loud. I mean, we're talking three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday night, you know, these guys are partying and being wild. And, and so police can only go with what they see. Well, then after a period of seven, eight months, houses in the area started getting broken into more and more. And now they, what they were doing was they were breaking in because these people were elderly and they were stealing their medications. And, you know, when they tried to stand up for themselves, they got threatened. It was terrible. And so I said, look, I'd sure like the opportunity to find out if I can help you out. And he kind of looked at me weird. And he reaches out and he writes his address on a piece of paper and he goes, I hope you can help me. So... We drive out and we find this place. And uh, there's a fence around the property, six feet tall, uh, wooden gates on the front. The closest house to them was, oh, probably 300 meters, but at an at a angle and through trees. We stop at the gate and pull up to it, and dogs are going crazy. I mean, we hear them just, Boar! and you could tell there's some dogs that are chained up because they're barking and you can hear the chains yanking. But then there's dogs that are running around too. And there's all kinds of people. And we hear this, what do you want? And it, it comes out of a, <laughs> it comes out of a baby speaker <laughs> that they've got. <laughs> oh, like a baby monitor. Yeah. yeah, it's a baby monitor and it's stuck <laughs> to the side of the gate under this like board. And I'm thinking, wow, these guys got it figured out, right? And I'm like, oh, I said, well, we're looking for Harv. And, and they're like, Harv? And you hear Murphy chime in. He goes, yeah, Harv and Andy, where the hell are they? And, you know, we're just pulling this out of our ass, excuse me. And uh, 
Guy's like, there ain't no Harv here. And I'm like, bull crap. I'm like, look, I just, I just want to talk to Harv. He's got some stuff that I'm supposed to pick up. You know, we've got cash. Oh, jing, 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 jing. There's the dinner bell, right? He goes, hold on a minute. He goes, I'm going to come out. He comes out and he opens up the gate. And I'm not kidding you. There's several faces behind him and up on the porch of this house. Because when you, when you come in this gate, there's this big house first. Then down the side of it, and there's trees. And then it opened up into like this big meadow. And you could see, when the, especially when the gate opened, you could see a big old bus and some trailers. And there was a lot of trash. Just It, it was just obvious to me that what kind of a place it was. You know, there's people that are standing around that, that have certain identifying features. You know, they've got rotten teeth and they're <laughs> sniffling and fidgeting and they act certain ways when they're on methamphetamine. And this guy was no prize winner either. He had big sores all over his face and on the backs of his hands. And he's like, what you looking for? And I'm like, I'm looking for Harv. You know, I'm treating this guy like he's a cop. So the guy's like, look, he goes, there ain't no Harv here. And Murphy's like, you know, screw him. He's lying to us. I told the guy, I was like, look, we're just going to leave. I said, I'm, he goes, well, wait a minute. He goes, I, I just kind of want to see what you need. And I'm like, dude, I said, we got nothing to talk about. I said, you have a good day. I said, I'm sorry I bothered you. And I hopped in the wagon and Murph got in his side and off we went. We start talking, me and the guys. And I'm like, look, guys, this place is bad. And Murph's like, SEP. And I'm like, SEP. <laughs> and Drummer's like, SEP. And uh, Cherry's looking at us like, what in the fuck is SEP? <laughs> Scorched earth policy it means we're torching the place. I'm like, okay, guys, you got three hours. Get the shit we need. Let's go. Everybody's on it. I said, get whatever you can and whatever you can find. Murph just goes to the uh, store. He buys three cases of water, plastic bottles. Me and the other guys are scouring for stuff we need. Stopped by a couple repair shops, picked up old rags, and, uh, and we were able to uh, appropriate some gas cans from different places that were had fuel in them, you know. We have a, a person in that area that we'd worked for, and I told them that we needed their place for a few hours. And they're like, yeah, that's not a problem. And they gave us this old barn to work in. And so we pulled in, and, you know, the lady comes out, and she's like, you guys need some food? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> Murph's like, yeah, that'd be great. So, you know, she goes inside and she's talking to her husband and they both come out and brought us some food and some drinks and we're out here in the barn making Molotov cocktails. And she just looks at us and starts smiling and she goes, busy night? And I'm like, no, ma'am. I'm like, not at all. She goes, okay, Casey. She goes, you have a, have a good time. Here's your food. And she goes, call us if you need anything. We'll be in the house. So we had scouted some maps, things like that. We'd found a, a road that was maybe a mile away from where we needed to be. So the whole idea was we would wait till it was dark and the clouds were rolling in. So the sky was going to be really, really black. I mean, you couldn't see a dang thing. So we load up in this truck and we go out there and we find this other old dead end road. And we go down it and uh, I'm like, stop here. We all have a last minute meeting and uh, I'm like, okay guys, here's the deal. I says, we burn everything to the ground. I said, put a cocktail and everything. I said, put it in the farthest part away from any door in a camper. Uh, that way they can have ample time to get out. I says, me and Murphy are gonna take the big house. And then we'll, after that, we all converge on that mobile home. We got our little backpacks and we, we start going down the road. Finally, we get to the location 
and it started to rain. And it wasn't a, a misting rain, but it wasn't a heavy rain, but it was one of those rains that was going to get everything nice and wet. So we started browsing around, and uh, old Droppy finds a couple loose boards on the fence over at the corner. And it's kind of a little trail. This is a place that these people are using to go in and out of the fence without having to open the gate. So we just went ahead and went in through there. And as we went through there one by one, we noticed there's still people outside, but they're like rushing around getting stuff and going inside because the rain's starting to come down harder and harder. Are the dogs not barking? No. No, nothing. We'd come up really quiet. We really had. The ones that were on the chains, I'm guessing, were probably either in their dog houses or trying to stay dry. And the ones that were free were the biggest concern for us right now because we didn't see them running around, and they were running around all the time. The first job of Droppy and Cherry was just to get everything going, just to start torching things, right? They look like kids in a candy store, man. <laughs> you heard a glass break, <laughs> and you saw, because they were using a, like little hand torches to light the cocktails with. So you got, you know, water bottles full of gasoline and another little mixture that's in there with them and uh, a rag sticking out the top, and they <laughs> threw it in the trailer and it'd start going, and people would come running out screaming, you know, oh my God, there's a fire. The second job was to create panic, like real panic, like physically beat these people, to let them know that they weren't welcome here, to let them know to never come again. They were running, getting in their cars and leaving. They were scared. Mine and Murph's job was to take down the primary areas, find out who the big boss was, and, and send the strongest message that he was never going to be there again. Period. So Murphy and I went right for the, the house, cleared the house. There was nobody in the house. Nobody, nothing. And we headed straight to the mobile home. Now, the mobile home was a different story. We came out of there, and the dogs started freaking out. Every one of them was chained, and they were chained around this mobile. And they were snarling and jumping at us and lunging, and we went right through them and hit the door. There was nobody in the living room. There was nobody in the first room. We came in hard and fast, and they were in the back cooking meth. There was only four guys in the house. We knocked all these guys down. We are grabbing by their long hair, throwing them down, putting a hurting on them, pulling the guns out of their waistbands that they had. And they had a big 55-gallon drum full of a white powder. And come to find out later, that, that white powder was a cleaning agent. It wasn't meth. They would take the finished product and they'd put it in there, throw a lid over it, and it'd mask the smell. Well, we'd been searching the house and we found a lot of drugs. So Murphy started stacking all that stuff in the kitchen, which was like the center of the house. Good old frickin' Murph. He lights a cocktail and he throws it back in the bedroom. Then he throws another one back in the bedroom closet. Then he throws one in the bathroom. Let's just say he was happy because we didn't want to have anything left when we went there. We finish engulfing every building on the place. I mean, I'm telling you what, it looks like a major forest fire going on. Not the woods, the campers. The rain is hammering. I mean, it is just coming down in buckets. The ground is like sloppy now. Well, now... <laughs> Now that house is on fire, and the safe's still there. So I go back in the bedroom, and I grab this safe, because obviously it's going to have stuff in it, right? And it's not a real big, but it's not a little, little tiny holding-your-hand safe. And I got this thing on my shoulder, and I'm running out, and Droppy is heading out the door, and he whacks his knee hard. Down he goes in the living room. 
the house is full of smoke. And he's like, my fucking knee, my fucking knee. And I'm like, God dang it. So I set the safe down on the couch and I grab him <laughs> and we get out of there. And Trumpy goes, where's the fucking safe? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. And there the safe was sitting in the mobile, burning the damn ground. We took off and ran down the road. We get the truck. We're getting in it. <laughs> the entire sky was like glowing. And I mean glowing. So we ended up driving out of there. And we were started laughing and we were singing I Love a Rainy Night. Give me a burst of it. Huh? I, I don't know that song. Give me a burst of it. <laughs> I love a rainy night. I love a rainy night. I love to hear the thunder. Watch the lightning when it lights up the sky. <laughs> oh, it makes me feel good. <laughs> How long had all this taken you? From the time we first entered that corner till the time we left was maybe 15 minutes. So uh, next morning comes, and uh, we went down to the meat market to buy some more stuff. And we walked in, and Jack looks up. <laughs> And he goes, holy shit, you guys work fast. And uh, he goes, you guys want some steaks? And he starts pulling out so much meat and just stacking it on the counter. And I pull out my money and he's like, no, no. He goes, this is on me. I'm like, no, Jack. And we sat there. We paid for everything we took. He was a really happy man. And we did follow up and check back and... Nothing caught on fire and everything was fine. The rain actually took care of everything we thought it would. So, a bit irresponsible and a bit wild, but it did work out just the way we thought it would. And uh, they they never ended up coming back, ever. That is the first time, Gacy, in all the times we've spoken and you've told me about the things that you've done that sounded reckless. There's been such precision in your planning. And to hear you just sort of throwing Molotov cocktails through windows, how could you be sure you didn't hurt anybody? We didn't care. They're a bunch of scumbags. These people were beating up and robbing elderly people and selling drugs to children. Do you want to know what animals are? Those people are animals. They don't care about anything except their next high. And are they somebody's... Son or daughter? Well, yeah, they are. But you know what? They're the son and daughter that are giving my family members and your family members and other people's kids drugs and turning them into the same kind of trash. And they're the same people that are breaking into my grandma's house and your grandma's house and, and beating them up for their medication that they need. Yeah, fuck them. Zero compassion. But no, nobody died that night, in case you're wondering. In fact, nobody even got burned, which is really too bad. A few third-degree burns would have made my day. You're a Christian, right? You've told me about the deep faith that you have. Jesus forgave people who'd committed the most heinous crimes. I'm not Jesus. Do you believe in redemption? Do you think people can redeem themselves when they have committed crimes? It seems to me you don't. Oh, yes, of course I do. I, I know, I personally know people. There's two men on my team that were the most worst drug addicts in the world. They were thieves. They were an atrocity to society. But they are such an incredible asset to the team because of their knowledge. Right. So what if someone had thrown a Molotov cocktail through their window 10 years previously? Think of all the good in the world they could have done that they wouldn't have had the chance to do. 
Well, I guess they shouldn't have been robbing those elderly people then, huh? And that's story number one for today. In our next, it isn't one property that Casey and his team raid, it's six. And I know he's mentioned them before, but Casey is about to talk more about his ex-wife and another woman too. The only one he says he's ever been in love with. All that when we come back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Before we get into the next escapade, I just want to set the scene a little bit for you here. Perhaps you haven't visited the United States much, perhaps you've just had a couple of weeks maybe at a theme park, but it's really important to remember the USA is huge. It sounds an obvious thing to say, but this is a massive country. And whilst there are a bunch of enormous cities around, there are also vast wide open areas where there are quite large communities that are completely isolated from other major towns. It doesn't mean there aren't a lot of people living there. You'll find houses on huge lots of land, but not a lot is going on. And it's a place like this where the next story happens. Oh, and again, the weather is appalling. But that's how KC likes it. That's my favourite time to hunt is when the weather's absolutely terrible because dogs can't hear, people don't hear, everybody wants to stay inside, everybody's afraid of getting wet. The nastier the weather is, the happier I am. 
In this story, Casey and his team aren't passing through. This time, it's a town where he just started living. So uh, I'd, I'd moved. I'd relocated to an area, and it was a nice area. I mean, you know, good houses, nice people, you know, a little store close by, all kinds of stuff. And I'm there maybe three days, and I start noticing things that just don't fit. <laughs> they just don't fit. There was crazy, and I mean insane, volumes of traffic to multiple houses. The area was heavily wooded, so the, the places were tucked into trees. You couldn't see them. I mean, the house closest to the main road was probably a couple hundred meters, and then, you know, the others were further back, as far back as a mile. So I went to the landlord, the man I was renting from. I asked him, like, hey, you know, kind of what's going on? And he's an older gentleman. He says, look, he goes, I'll, I'll be honest with you. He goes, there's a, a big drug problem here, heroin, methamphetamine, crank. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. There's a big one. He goes, there's there's several houses and problems. And I'm like, gee, many Christmas, you know, you think you'd tell me this? So, you know, at that time, he didn't know what I did. And he's just like, you know, I don't know what to do. I've called the sheriff's department many times. They've come out. They said they can't do anything. And I'm like, well, <laughs> how long has this been going on? And he goes, oh, years. And I'm like, years? He's like, years. He goes, there's times at night that I can smell cat piss so strong. And the smell of cat urine is not cat urine. It's uh, methamphetamine being cooked. They use anhydrous ammonia as a scrubber, at least they used to, and it smells heavily of cat urine. And anhydrous ammonia is an industrial cleaning agent that is used to clean the inside of agricultural equipment, everything from tankers that they haul milk in to, you know, whatever. So when you're smelling that cloud, it's really screwing you up. I'll bet you there's somewhere between... 30 and 50 people in this community. And there was at least six or seven of those were drug houses. Blimey. So why had the police done nothing? Well, the police come in there, but they have to be able to see something. It has to be what's in plain view. So what does a cop do? Well, they come in and they drive through. <laughs> in a car, it looks like a police car looking for stuff. Well, guess what all the little meth maggots do they they hide you know and if they can't see nothing they can't do anything they can run license plates that are in there but then the cars are on private property so if they're not stolen there's nothing they can do right but we'll call the landlord fred okay so fred had talked about this and i just kind of looked at him one day and shook my head i was like you know what fred i said i'm not gonna allow this and he kind of looked at me and he smiled and he goes oh you're not huh and i'm like no no i'm not and that was it. So I went back to my little cabin that I'd rented from him, and I started making a plan. And I took the next few days and was going out at night, watching people coming in and out, watching them go up, knock on the door, you know, hand some money, or they'd hand a stolen stereo. Well, I guess I can't say it was stolen. Did I know it was stolen? No. But handing tools, trading tools for drugs. Some of them brought women with them that were obviously way too young, you know, it's not rocket science figuring out that he just treated that girl's services off for drugs. Pretty hard things to watch and not do anything about while you're observing him. It really is. You know, and this isn't just at one house. This is at all of them. It's, it's sad. You know, I tried to get decent head counts and volumes of traffic and things like that. And I was making sure that I had every location um, where the ingresses and egresses were out of the house. Vehicles that were there that obviously couldn't move and 
And I had this all drawn up in my house. I had the whole table was everything. I mean, everything was mapped out. I called all my guys. I said, look, guys, we're going to have a party. <laughs> and they're like, what? I said, we're going to have a party. So uh, they came over, and I showed them the map, and I told them what was going on. <laughs> and all of them started laughing and giggling. They're like, really? You want to go and hit all these houses in one night? And I'm like, yep, that's what I want to do. He goes, well, how are we going to pull that off? I'm like, well, we need to get a... We need to get a federal warrant. <laughs> and they go, a federal warrant? I'm like, yeah, we've got to find somebody that's wanted. I said, and we need to go search for that person. Why, why did you need to do that? Can you explain? Well, there's things you do that are illegal, and there's things you do that are in the gray areas, right? I lived in this area. You don't want to shit where you eat. Excuse my mouth, but you don't. So, you know, I had to make a plan so that in the event law enforcement was called, I had a legitimate reason to be in that area. Now, Casey has explained bail bondsmen before in our Sons and Fathers episode. So if the court makes an arrest, and let's just say they arrest somebody and they put a a $50,000 bond on that person, a bail bondsman puts up collateral for that $50,000 but charges a 10% fee. But they get collateral from you for up to $50,000. So you'll either sign over your house or, or something. Got it? Okay, on we go. Well, what we did there is uh, we contacted bail bondsmen in that area. And what we were looking for was somebody that was wanted. And if one of those people was their friends and they were tied together that way, that would give us probable cause to be able to enter that location. So we located the paperwork, um, got the contract on it. And uh, I came back and showed the guys and they're all laughing and they're like, okay, (laughs) This is great. How do you want to do this? And I'm like, well, real simple. We're going to use the war wagon. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to use the war wagon. How are we going to do that? You're going to get seating for all of us. And I'm like, well, I said, you know, you're going to be sitting on the hood, on the front bumper, hanging off the sides. I'm like, and what we're going to do is we're going to start right here, and we're just going to hit every house. Just boom, boom, boom. And we're going to go into every house looking for this guy. I said, we're going to clear every house. I said, and we're going to uh, appropriate funds. Any drugs that we find are going to be immediately flushed down the toilets or burned outside. I said, we're going to send a really strong message that these people need to be out of here in 24 hours. <laughs> and they are all just thinking this is the greatest plan in the world. They're like, woohoo, this is going to be fun. So what does leadership mean to you as a man? Well, that's the thing in the team. I don't think of myself as a leader. We, we all get paid equally whenever we're on jobs. I don't take any more than any of my guys. I try to take more risk than my guys just because, I don't know, it's what I feel is right. But being a leader means that you got to be a teacher. You know, you're not just there to say do this and do that. Being a leader means you've got to know when to open your arms and give somebody a hug, when to give them a pat on the ass when they're walking by and tell them they did a good job, make the hard choices because... There's times that I make calls that I've got to send a guy to do something, and uh, he might not come back from it, right? (laughs) But the biggest thing you've got to be as a leader is a role model, but not just a role model because a role model sometimes doesn't make the right choices. So you have to be a teacher. And whether you're teaching by making mistakes or teaching by trying to share something that you've done so they don't make mistakes still makes you a teacher. Back to the story. And Casey's giving his landlord a heads up on what's about to go down. 
So I, I went and talked to this guy, Fred, and I says, hey, look, it's going to get really active tonight. I said, no matter what happens, I said, I just need you to stay in your house. And uh, <laughs> he went into his house and closed his big sliding glass door and contacted all the good people in the area and told them that there was going to be something happening that night for nobody to call the police, so they didn't. Everybody wanted those people gone. They wanted them gone completely. And this was pro bono. There was no money involved. Me and the guys waited till around, oh, I think it was 1130 that night. And it was raining. I mean, it was just storming, the wind whipping. And uh, we headed out. We hit the first place. We went through it, room to room, everything. There was a, a little kid, I remember, probably two years old had a diaper on the diaper was so full of feces that it was hanging down like two inches below its genitals halfway between its knees full of diapers full of shit and there was more than just that kid that was just the first one I saw coming in the house the first house there was three males one female and the female was not even that kid's mom there was some girl that was watching it for the mom which was really sad when you looked at how dirty the kid was and the diaper full of shit so anyway, we went in and out of that house looking for that guy, and we gave all those people a really solid and firm warning that they needed to not be there anymore the next day. Period. We didn't want to see anybody there. And the living room was just trashed over on one whole corner. There was a pile of garbage. And I don't mean, like, bags of garbage. I mean, they were using the corner of that house, which was a rental house, as a trash can. I mean, there was food cans and diapers, and it was disgusting. We went through the whole house. We ended up finding some drugs. Cody took them outside and started a little bonfire. Actually, it wasn't a little bonfire. It was a <laughs> a really, really, really big bonfire. And we ended up throwing some mattresses out of the upstairs. We broke the window out, threw mattresses out of the upstairs, fed the fire, furniture and stuff that was in there that was just an atrocity as we were looking for stuff. So anyway... On to the next house. Uh, next house was a mobile home. I remember it was up the hill to the left. and <laughs> Nico and his buddy and <laughs> Cody were all riding on the front bumper in the hood of the wagon. And uh, guys were hanging off the sides of it on the stand rails. And I went bombing up this hill and pulled into the next place. And it was a really small trailer, maybe 30 feet long, two exit doors and a drive through driveway. And we hit that place. And I mean, we went through it quick. We were breaking stuff and... We had everybody thrown up against the wall in the living room, searching the house. We found a lot of drugs there. There was a pack of drugs there that was easily like, for lack of a better unit of measurement, about the size of two gallon Ziplocs full of drugs. One was crystal meth. Um, one was complete rocks. I mean, some of these rocks in there were, you know, like the size of quarters down to small ones, and the other bag was completely powder. And I told the guys, I'm like, we can't flush that. That'll poison the, the ground too much, you know. Anyway, I told Cody, I was like, we're going to take that back down to the other burn barrel. So we'd brought a big tote with us just in case we'd found stuff like this. So we threw it in the tote in the back of the wagon. And we were going to take it down and throw it on the little bonfire Cody would started, started at the, the first place after we were done. And how are the people reacting, Casey, as you come in, these adults oh, that you... When, they, when we first come in, they're screaming. They're like, who are you? You can't be in here. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, you know. And we're patting them all down, strip searching some of them. You know, we're finding weapons. And every weapon we found, we appropriated. 
We didn't keep them. We ended up destroying them, but we took them. We took every knife, every gun, every taser. We took everything we could find, ammunition, weapons, everything. And are they fighting back? I mean, I know you've entered some houses in a in a blaze of gunfire. Well, yeah, they tried. You know, we'd come in and they'd, they'd try to fight back. There were some of them that thought they were pretty tough, but, you know, they got checked pretty quick. Either they got a gun barrel across the face or they got punched in the gut with either our hand or whatever we had in our hand. And, you know, they grabbed by the hair and thrown. Some of them had really long, greasy hair thrown against the walls. Um, the women usually just screamed and some of the women got really really gutsy they'd start screaming and cussing at us and usually they just sat down and shut up uh some of the guys tried to put up a fight but a lot of them didn't so we went from that house to the next one the next house was a big house it was a two-story tucked up into the woods driveway was kind of a, a small slope so when you pulled into the driveway it kind of went down a little bit and the minute we pulled up there, because the way that I have lighting on the wagon, I can put so much light on an area, it's unreal. And this was before LED light bars. Well, they didn't have those then, but I had huge lighting system on the front of this thing. We rolled up to that place, and it looked like cockroaches under a light. I kid you not, man. There was people everywhere running, stuffing stuff in their pockets, jumping into cars, trying to leave. But we blocked that driveway. And the guys, before I even stopped moving, the guys jumped down, and they immediately just went down. And I mean, as soon as they got close to a guy that was in the yard or running, they'd just grab him and just throw him on the ground. I mean, they'd hammer him quick. And they'd start screaming and asking for the guy that we were looking for. So we went house to house, and we hit a... Uh, one, two, three, four, five. We hit six houses. And I'm telling you, every one of these people was a, was a druggie, was a scumbag. And that's the other thing. We took their IDs and kept them, too. We took and kept all of their IDs, everything that we found. Why'd you do that? Fear. We told them, we know who the fuck you are. We see you here again. This isn't going to be so nice, you know. <laughs> and as we're telling them this, they got split lips and black eyes. And, you know, they've been bounced around quite a bit. And they've been interrogated very, very well. And it, it took us just over an hour. We finished. And we went back down to my house. There was the longest line of cars you've ever seen <laughs> coming down out of them hills. And I mean, headlights on and just going. And Fred was standing on his porch laughing his ass off because they did. They all moved out that night. I mean, every cockroach on that freaking whole residential area packed their crap and left. And I mean, gone. Never to come back. It was the next morning, a uh, sheriff shows up, pulls right in, and uh, went right up and knocks on uh, the landlord's door. <laughs> and I'm in, I'm in my little house, and all of a sudden I hear, You need to get the hell out of here. That young man did more in one night than you guys have done in ten years. You don't know what the hell you guys are doing. Now you're in here wanting to harass him. You guys need to get off my property. And I come outside, and I'm like, what's going on? And Fred's like, this guy wants to talk to you. Do you want to talk to him? You want me to send him out of here? I said, I'll talk to him. And I, I looked at the deputy, and by his walk and his actions, I could tell he was, you know, former military. And, uh, you know, I, I know the protocol. He goes, I, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, well, why don't you come on into my house? And he's like, well, you know, they're not really supposed to. And he goes, Okay. So he comes walking up the steps, and he comes in, <laughs> and his mouth fell open. I mean, there's my guns all lined on the wall. 
the table's all cleared off. There's a big map of the whole area with all these buildings marked off. And, you know, <laughs> there's everything from the night before in there all over the place. And he goes, holy shit. I don't know what to say. He goes, I'm here because we've got 14 complaints <laughs> filed against you last night. And I go, you did? He goes, yeah. He goes, and uh, by everything that I'm seeing here, he goes, uh, it seems that they're valid. And I reached over in this pile of paperwork and I pulled out this federal warrant. I'm like, well, here's the guy I was after. I said, I've got a legitimate warrant to uh, recover and transport this guy. And he's sitting there looking at it and he goes, give me just a minute. And he goes out and gets on his radio, which I knew he was verifying the warrant. He comes back in and he hands it to me. And he's got this huge grin on his face. And he goes, well, he goes, I just talked to the sheriff. It seems that what you did was was justified. He goes, you didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, well, I know that. And he goes, you have a good day. <laughs> he got in his car and left. I'm really interested, Casey. You started this whole story by telling me that you'd moved to this really small community. Why are you moving somewhere on your own? Why did you move to this community? Because I met the woman I was going to marry. Was she with you? Yeah. Yeah, she was. She was with me when that raid went down. We'd just met a short time before. And she was with you in the house? Yes. What did she do during the raids? She was watching Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I'm not lying to you, I swear to God. <laughs> Original or remake? Original, of course. Of course. I've never even seen the remake. There's no reason to. I mean, the original is the deal. So this chaos is unfolding in your neighborhood and your wife-to-be is happily watching a movie munching popcorn. Actually, that's exactly what she was doing. Caramel corn, to be honest with you. Sea salted salt caramel corn, yeah. So you were, in fact, doing this as much for her or probably more for her than you were for yourself. Oh, yeah, I just moved her into this area, and I'm not going to have her in a dangerous community. What did she say when you got home? Are you hungry? Were there no more questions? No. She knew better already. Well, I was about to say, why is that? Okay, I'll tell you why. I knew her exactly three days before I knew I wanted her to be my wife. I bumped into her, and a pure fluke out of nowhere and I just saw her and I was like my god so I convinced her to have lunch with me and we spent the next two days going swimming and eating Mexican food and on the third day my pager went off and I had to leave so here we are on this beach you know laying in the sun and all of a sudden I get called to go after these three kids well She's not from this country, and she told me at that very minute, right then, that she was leaving the next day to go back to her home country for the rest of her life. She wasn't coming back. She just was over there visiting. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know what to say, but these kids had been kidnapped, and I had to leave right then, so I loaded her cute little ass up in my truck, and I was being very insistent right after my pager went off. I went from this nice guy to, you know, Hey, get your ass in the truck. I got to go right now. And she was like, 
can't believe I'm talking to you like this. So I got her back to where she was staying, and, you know, she stepped out of the truck, and I didn't even turn the truck off or nothing. I just said, hey, can I have your phone number? And she looked at me, and I handed her a pen, a Sharpie, and a piece of paper, and she's like, back to my home? And I'm like, yeah. So she scratched it on this piece of paper. I just says, I'll call you, and I drove off. That was it. She left the next day. Five, six days later, I had the kids back, and uh, I called that phone number. She got on the phone, and she was shocked that I'd called. And I, I asked her, you know, what are you doing for the next 20 or 30 years of your life? And I told her I wanted her to come back, and she did. Wow. How long were you married for? A long time. And I really mean that, a very long time. Why did it end? We just hit a point where I could see that she was becoming bitter toward me, and I was becoming bitter toward her. And I was not willing to have that happen. I'd cared about her for too long. And uh, I told her. I, I mean, I pulled her aside and I said, look, I see where this is going. And she agreed. She wasn't happy about it, but she agreed. And I said, we can either continue like this and live a lie, or we can split up and still be able to talk to each other and be happy around each other. And So that's what we chose to do. You've talked about the incredible camaraderie of your team and you, you, you know, you have these people who would drop everything and cross the country for you. But what about those buddies we all need? What about the people you can chew the fat with or have a barbecue with or go I've for a hike those. with? Have you got friends? Oh, yeah. I got good friends, really good friends. And they all know what I do. If I had a friend like you, Casey. I can't imagine we'd ever talk about anything else. <laughs> I'd be constantly thinking, what? Tell me, what? What? I can't imagine just saying, hey, let's talk. I mean, do you go on vacation? The last time I went on what you call a vacation? Probably 20 years ago. My vacation is when I'm home. So you've told me several occasions that you would love to be in a relationship again. So where does KC find his future partner? Where do you begin? Boy, there's a question, right? Who knows? <laughs> we'll, we'll find out if it ever happens. You know, Sam, I've been in love one time in my life. Truly in love. And it wasn't the woman that I married. You know, God took that woman from me, and it, it did. It, it tore me apart. Just imagine a partner, Sam, that you have that you never argued with, ever. I mean, we made an agreement when we first met, and that if we ever got angry at each other, we had to take all of our clothes off to argue. <laughs> it was so funny because if she let a fiery ass get mad, she'd start taking her clothes off, and I'd start laughing. I mean, that was it. There was no argument. I, I would love to find that again. Well, maybe you need to try harder. Well, find me one, Sam, and send her my way. I don't really know what that Lonely Hearts ad would read like, Casey. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know really where to begin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me either. <laughs> but we all deserve to be happy, right? 
Oh yeah, everybody deserves to be happy. Even the bad guys? Let's not reach too far, Sam. <laughs> Coming up on our next episode. Why are politicians protected with guns? Why are banks protected with guns? And why are our children not? Give me a fucking break, Sam. Those are our future. Well, that SUV stops right next to her granddaughter. And that big cowboy grabbed her and he took her in that SUV. And they took off. And she passed out on the porch. Well, at the end of the night, they invited me to come back to their place. He goes, sometimes the things you're looking for are in the strangest places. American Vigilante is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Sam Walker. It's produced by Phil Brown and Steve Jones. The executive producer for Crowd is Mike Carr. Associate producer for Stowaway Entertainment is Jeff Singer. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you want another Crowd podcast to listen to, try Death of a Rockstar. It's the stories of Kurt Cobain, Whitney Houston, Bob Marley, John Lennon, and more, all told like you've never heard them before. It's a series about being adored by millions, what it feels like, and what it does to you. Go and search for Death of a Rockstar and have a listen. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Hello, I'm Katie Puckrick. Haven't I seen you on Wikipedia? Because I'm there every day. I've got a new podcast called .com, the documentary series about the people of the internet, starting with Wikipedia. Yeah, sure, it's just a little website. This is a hidden world. But no, it's not. And it's fascinating. If you'd said to me, it will all be free. I mean, how could Wikipedia not be corrupt at this point? Search for .com and subscribe now. How? Listen to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. It's a fun show about weird stuff. New episodes every Wednesday, yeah, eggheads. I'm Art. And I'm Andy. And Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time is a podcast about conspiracies, the paranormal, UFOs, unsolved mysteries. We're, we're going to be discussing the Kennedy assassinations. Oh, yeah, that's his nickname, finger-banging Bob Lazar. Give me some aliens with some good frickin' spacecraft. The whole enchilada. <laughs> the only thing bigger than Bigfoot's feet are our egos. If you like simulation theory, ancient history, egghead science, and Mandela effect, that kind of stuff. So check it out. New episodes every Wednesday. All the links you need on MrBunkersConspiracyTime.com. And we'll see you in the bunker. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.
Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. 